Before we get into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy listening to this show, please take a second to leave a review. It will help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. You can also go to my website, ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com, to send me a message, or if you have a story to share, send a submission request. Your story will be completely anonymous, and it will help thousands of listeners manage their own toxic work experience. When I came to this company and interviewed at this company, the interview went well. I liked my potential boss. And they actually called me 15 minutes after I left the interview. So I was pretty excited to join the organization. And, you know, I felt it was a good move for me. This is Judy. Judy is an IT professional with over 15 years of experience in her field, as well as a master's degree. This is a healthcare clinic. And it's a well-known healthcare clinic. It was okay when I first arrived, probably for the first week or two. I worked there in tech as a senior software engineer. I'm the type of person where I try to get people the benefit of the doubt and try to give new places and new organizations the benefit of the doubt. Judy's optimism about this position as a senior software engineer gave her a positive perspective about the organization she was joining and the opportunity that was unfolding in front of her. She was energized at the thought of being part of a successful healthcare clinic. But the honeymoon phase was short-lived. It didn't take long for the toxicity of this work culture to cast a dark cloud over Judy's sunny disposition. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform to those who have survived highly toxic work experiences only to come out with newfound wisdom and a renewed sense of self. A toxic workplace is more than just the daily grind. It's a soul-crushing experience that will chip away at your sanity until you're about to lose your mind. It's an abusive relationship that's hard to leave. And the longer you stay, the more you lose sight of who you set out to be. My first two weeks, I'm sitting there trying to familiarize myself with the system. So usually when you start a new organization, you basically have to familiarize yourself with all the new programs so you can help other staff members and et cetera. So my first two weeks, I was basically yelled at by, you know, upper management in other departments about reports I knew nothing about. My manager had to take up for me and basically tell them, well, she's still learning her system, you know, give her a break. After that, I received an email and I received the email from the director of operations and I guess her bosses, they were inquiring about a report. I'm new. I don't know what's going on. I'm just coming in. I'm just happening to look at my email. So I'm reading this email. I'm like, okay. So I'm asking him questions regarding the report so I can try to dig for it. Because I'm the type of person where I learn by diving into the fire. So I'm trying to just learn as I go. So I'm asking, okay, so where's this report? What type of report? I guess they got tired of the question. Seems like they expected me to just already know, even though I'm new to the organization. I don't know where certain files are. I'm not going to know anything in regards to that. 
uh, the director of operations, CC her boss as well as the owner of the organization and said that I disregarded her and dismissed her. Then copy my boss in on it. You know, my boss didn't really pay that any attention because he said I'm new. You know, I was just following my boss's orders, you know, just still trying to learn the systems and everything else. Okay, so this is my first <laughs> two weeks there, but that was kind of like a taste of more to come. There's something called a grace period for new hires, no matter what industry you work in. A grace period where established members of an organization give grace and understanding to a new employee during their first weeks, months, or even sometimes years of training. The way a company's computer system is set up and organized varies from company to company. Certain files might be saved on a specific drive, while other documents are housed within an app or a platform. Each department may have different processes and document procedures. Learning the system of software and organization was all part of Judy's training. But the directors of this organization gave no grace period, which wasn't a very welcoming feeling for Judy. Over time, I noticed that there was a high turnover rate where people in our department as well as other departments were just leaving the company. And I noticed that was one of the trends in that organization, just a real high turnover rate. Following that year, my aunt passed away. It was like that summer, so that following summer or so. And I had informed my boss that I would be off for a couple of days. One of those days, I had to pick up my relatives from the airport. Basically, he sat up there and said, well, uh, they can't take an Uber. And I'm like, okay, well, I live in a small town. You need transportation in order to get around. Just put it that way. So I picked them up from the airport, took them to my grandmother's house. Then I came straight home that first day to just work, just to show that I'm dedicated to the organization. So the next day, I attended the funeral. The following day, I went back to work. When I went back to work, I was literally cornered and interrogated about my aunt's death by my boss's boss. So my boss's boss was a lawyer. Her role had blurred lines. She touched everything in the organization. So not only was she the lawyer, she had her hands in finance. She had her hands in operations. She had her hands in everything. I think because her and the owner were friends, but she literally cornered me. And I remember I was in the break room when I came back. She was interrogating me as if I was lying. And I'm like, why would I lie about a funeral? And the thing is with me, I barely take off work. And a lot of times I wouldn't even take lunch. I would literally eat my lunch in my desk and work. So it's like, okay, so I only took one or two days and there's a problem. The last thing anyone should have to deal with when grieving the loss of a loved one is to be interrogated by your employer as to whether you were justified in taking time off to attend a funeral. But Judy wanted to make a good impression. She has a strong work ethic, and she wanted this company to see that in her. The company expected her to prioritize her work over her personal life, and Judy felt obligated to do so. I remember when I had gotten married, my husband and I, we couldn't even take a real honeymoon because of that. I was only off for about a day or two just for my wedding. Of course, again, interrogate you, ostracize you, and do whatever else they can to you because you were off. 
they made you feel guilty about being on, just put it like that. Even if you're sick, you know, and you had to, you know, take off, you know, that, that wasn't allowed either. You had to be sick and sit there and work. There was this girl and she worked in the county. She was like in the payroll or something like that. They did her the exact same way. And she was going to take vacation and she couldn't take vacation. So she was sitting there. She literally was sitting there crying because she couldn't take off. I remember one time they called me on a Saturday while I was out shopping. I was enjoying my Saturday. Sunny outside and everything. And I was actually way across town. So I was, you know, far away from home. They wanted me to provide a three-page explanation of what each number meant on a report. So I had to rush. I had to stop what I'm doing, hop in the car, rush all the way home just to look at this report and prepare explanation for that. That was not an emergency. They would do that to me all of the time. I noticed this pattern was the boss's boss, sometimes she would invite me out to lunch. This is the weird part. She would invite me out to her lunch with her assistant. She would ask me, well, what are you doing this coming weekend? And I would literally tell her. But then Saturday would come and then all of a sudden I would get a phone call or a text saying, well, you need to provide explanation about why these numbers are off or you need to fix this website. So I literally would have to like stop what I'm doing and fix whatever is going on. I just... She took orders, just put it that way. And then here's another thing what I started noticing. I did not tell them that doing something that weekend, I wouldn't get calls or any anything. I wouldn't call for a text or email. So I think they were just messing with me. They didn't care. They would work the mess out of you. And they actually rewarded people that did that. I remember one time one of my bosses, you know, he's referring to, uh, she was like the marketing manager or something. And he was like, oh, well, she actually, she was in a hospital and she still worked. You know, he just happened to mention, you know, mention the same thing about the junior developers. And he was saying, well, they uh, worked 24 hours on this system. They didn't even sleep. Like, it was the best thing in the world. This company has no work-life balance. The work culture does not value personal time away from the daily grind. Life revolves around work 24-7. When employees are obligated to put work before their families and home life, an element of their being is short-circuited, and they start to lose a sense of self. When employees are collectively experiencing this loss of self within an organization, the culture becomes tense, irritable, unfulfilling, and unforgiving. There were other cultural defects emerging, one being the director of operations, who seemed to take a liking to Judy from the beginning. She would invite Judy to lunches and engage in conversation, but something about their interactions never quite felt authentic. In fact, there were many instances where she would say and do inappropriate and insulting things in front of Judy. I will be out to lunch with the boss's boss. And I think she would just, you know, speak loosely because we're at lunch and we're, we're not in the office. He just got too comfortable. During the summertime, we'll have interns. You know, we'll have like a lot of interns that may not come from privileged families, so to speak. Now, she would have these comments and she would say, well, those new interns do not have any food. Uh, those urban kids, 
you know, they don't have food at home. And I'm just like, okay, what is this about? It was another time when she just happened to mention that her son, her son was off to college and he has this friend that's, you know, African-American. And she would just make jokes about that. I wouldn't say anything. but kind of like just kept it to myself. And I think because I'm looking at the fact that she's a lawyer and it's kind of like, well, how would you fight a lawyer? She felt she was invincible. Sometimes we're out at lunch and say, for instance, we're standing there and we're getting ready to pay for our lunch or she's paying for lunch. And then I noticed that she would just cover up her credit card number as if she thought that I was going to steal from her. I'm like, okay. I did not work all these years in tech to steal from people. I, if that's the case, I would have been stole something, but that's not, that's not who I am. I think it was one time I couldn't go to lunch with her because I had work to do. I had to reject her offer to come to lunch because they would literally walk past my office and say, hey, knock on my door and say, hey, you want to go to lunch? We're going here. Okay, sure. This next time I couldn't go, you know, because I had, you know, all this work to do and stuff. Next thing I know, all of a sudden, I'm being moved from my office. And that's when all of a sudden I'm in a cubicle. But they but they said, oh, we had to move you because we're going to give it to this new manager. Even though the new manager, he wasn't even there long. He, he was there for like a couple months and left. We had hired this junior developer that was under me, and he wasn't really performing or he was leaving early, stuff like that. I would tell her, next thing you know, I get moved. Or I would complain to her about how, say, for instance, I was getting picked on from the chief financial officer. And I felt whatever he said was unfair. I would tell her, next thing you know, I get moved. So I just, I didn't understand what was going on there. Judy told me about numerous occurrences where her desk would be moved to a new location without any warning, and it always seemed to be after she spoke up about the issues she was dealing with. When Judy was initially hired, she was given an office. Although she was never demoted, she was moved to a cubicle without good explanation. Her cubicle would then be moved many more times after that, again without explanations. And it wasn't like this company was rearranging the office desks and everyone was moved. No, it was just Judy. You know, another issue I had experienced was with a junior developer. And, you know, I was the one interviewing him, so he was up under me. So I would assign him tasks and et cetera. The thing is, when we got ready to interview, I basically kind of informed my boss, like, I don't think we should hire this guy, you know, because I already had a guy in mind. When you work in um, tech and IT, you have to kind of be quizzed on your skills. Okay, so any question I threw at him, the guy knew it. He, you know, he had a 3.9 GPA. And I said, we need to hire this guy. He's smart. He knows his stuff. But he kind of come out and said, well, he's, you know, he seemed like he has, he's kind of autistic. And, you know, I'm like, well, so? So they hired this other guy that was total opposite. So I gave him tests. He didn't do it, didn't pass it. So they kept pushing for this guy. Okay, we pushed for this guy, and the guy would never, he basically would, like, leave early. So it would just be like, he just leave in the middle of the day, wouldn't tell anybody, just walk out. I, I would tell my boss, like, this guy, he just left and just walked out. But the guy basically was sabotaging and 
sabotaging me and seemed like he wanted my job. So I found out that he was the one, at least 90% of the time, breaking the website. Literally doing it on purpose like clockwork. So I noticed this will happen when he's not there. So if he take a day off, all of a sudden the website goes down or all of a sudden a report doesn't work. So every time he's not here, this happens. So all of a sudden, all the departments, finance, clinical, everybody is screaming at me and saying, why is this, you know, why is this program, you know, going crazy? And I'm like stressed out trying to fix it. But I found out one time that he the one was doing it because it's a way you can actually check to see who is logged in, you know, into that system or that server at a certain time. And I saw his username. He the one brought that report down. So I had emailed him and said, well, this show you were in this server at X time. And he said, oh, well, I was just working on a report. I was just trying to fix it. And I'm saying, okay, well, next time you need to let us know. Because I'm the one that has to fix this report for finance now. And I kind of found out, I guess, later on down the line, that he was basically going around, you know, spreading rumors about me, a lot of untruths, and et cetera. Some of them untruths actually affected my performance review before I went up. Okay, so we're going to fast forward a little bit to probably about three years after he arrived. So during this time, we had a brand new IT director. And during that time when they had bought him in, I think I was working from home about a few days after weekend, et cetera, and then he come in twice a week. This guy was very arrogant, and he didn't like women at all. He would butt heads with the other female directors in the organization. I remember we were sitting there, and I guess he was looking for like more so like a dispatcher, and this person is just somebody to tell somebody to help us where to go to fix a computer or something. You know, basically just somebody handling a ticket. He said, okay, well, I want somebody to do, you know, this type of job. But he said, I prefer a woman in this position. So me and the other guy looked at each other like, okay, did he just say that? After they hired the new girl, the new dispatcher, he said, he told a marketing manager, say, oh, well, she seems sad over there. You're a woman. Go console her. This IT director took the guy up, up under me and then... It was another guy who was more so like on this part of IT. And he promoted the guy up under me as well as, you know, another guy. So now the guy up under me was over me. Mind you, I've been there longer. I even looked at his resume because I still had his resume on my computer. Like, well, let me see. Maybe he got more credentials than me. You know, maybe, maybe it's something I don't know. So I did my digging and saw that he did not, you know. And it's like, I don't mean to be had myself on a back or being a bragger, but I have a master's degree and I have like a, over 15 years experience. This guy did not. And I was there longer and I contributed more to the organization to the point that they're profitable today. And then during my performance review, he was like, oh, well, they say you don't help and you don't do this. And I literally went back to emails and I forwarded all those emails showing that I helped. I even consulted with, you know, his boss, which is a lawyer, the lawyer lady, and told her what was going on. And she said, well, just make a list out of everything that you did. I got over like 10 pages long of things I did within just one year. This is just within the time he was there, the new IT director. And I gave that to him. 
So I guess it didn't matter. Another thing that confused me was they gave me a raise but didn't promote me. It's like the review don't match it. If you did bad, I'm not going to give you a raise. So here's the thing. The guy punching me and, you know, the other guy that was promoted, you know, is your guest. They were best friends. They were basically plotting against me just to try to push me up out of there. As long as you kept a smile on your face and you didn't complain and stuff like that, and yeah, you're fine. If you didn't look happy, you have to basically have a fake smile on your face. I don't care what was going on. You have to have a fake smile on your face. It didn't matter how great Judy was at her job, nor how much effort she put into it. The director of IT wasn't going to promote her. Judy said that she never had a negative review until the new IT director showed up. He had a boys club mentality and Judy wasn't a member. When she pointed this out to the director of operations, you know, the lawyer, she was always dismissed. She was told that some people thought she was too aggressive. It's extremely frustrating to put all your time and effort into a position that doesn't recognize your hard work and devotion. Her boss also didn't take her seriously. Judy would advise on security issues within the system, and her concerns were ignored. This would prove to backfire on the IT department when private patient data was shared. We had this new guy. He was kind of like the director of marketing. He was another person that was actually tinkering with the system to the point they broke. The girl in our department gave him like security access he shouldn't even have into the system. And I kept trying to warn him, don't do it, don't give him this. They did it anyway. So come to find out, he stole patient data, gave it to his son for his school homework. So he ended up, I guess, getting let go because I guess they eventually found out or so they let him go, whatever the case. But after he left, I seen something on the news that said in the event that happens, the executives are supposed to be held liable and they can't serve jail time. I sent my boss a link for that article in that newscast. He was like, oh, well, interesting. Hmm, seems interesting. Let's talk about this. Next thing you know, he called me to his office and he said, we don't want to give the company bad publicity. So that's actually a HIPAA violation, and they really are supposed to get fined for that. They actually had a platform where their patient data just wasn't encrypted. So that means if I'm some hacker, I can access all this stuff. And so I said, well, we need to lock this down. So the part of the record that's usually supposed to be locked down is anything that can identify you. And that includes like your name, your address, your phone, your social security number, whatever else you got in that system that can identify you. And they were actually supposed to, you know, modify the system, create, you know, these interfaces and everything else in order to get that data to be encrypted. And with that, they were actually supposed to put out a new version of that system. I spoke to my IT director during that time about that. But then all of a sudden, he took me off the project. The guys up under me, of course, didn't listen to me. They kind of shrugged me off like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And this is what happened. And he took me off a lot of important projects that the actual owner wanted. One of them was kind of like a digital patient registration form that I was actually working on. And all of a sudden, he come in and just take me off of it. They basically trying their best to overwork me to the point where, okay, I would leave. So the guy under me, he would give me 10, like five to 10 projects that would do that week. 
And then my boss, he, it was like he's trying to put me into a whole another a second job. So he's trying to put me as a project manager. And then I still had to work as a software engineer. So I had a ton of work. So he would give me like five to 10 projects to do that week. The guy brought me, give me five to 10 projects to do that week. And every time, if I did not meet the deadline, the guy brought me to send an email saying, well, in order to qualify to be in this uh, software development team, you need to do this and you should have turned this in this day. I'm like, are you serious? They were doing this every single day to the point I just expected the email. Judy made so many sacrifices in her personal life in order to jump through the excessive hoops the IT director had set up for her. Excessive work with no recognition for long periods of time will take a toll on your health and mental stability. This organization expected employees to maintain a happy demeanor while pushing through burnout and unapproved PTO requests. This sort of environment started to wear on Judy. My health deteriorated because of it. Because life kind of got in the way, so it was like I didn't have time to like look for a job. Before I started there, I was a happy-go-lucky person. By the time I left there, I wasn't. I was angry. I was bitter. I got really depressed, especially when I didn't get promoted. I got real depressed because I asked myself, why did you do all of this work? It's hard to work when you have to constantly be in the middle or fight office politics. Emotions don't mix well when you work in such a rigid industry as tech or, you know, rigid industries such as finances, because you need that brain power to go toward that. I remember I would leave there and I would have headaches. My commute was almost two hours one way. So I would leave my house uh, about 5.30 in the morning so I can get there about 7 o'clock to make sure the report came through correctly. I'm there and stuff working and fields, and I would get off at about 4.30. I would get home probably around 6.30, but by the time I get home, I'm exhausted. I have headaches. I remember I was on my way home, and all of a sudden, like, one side of my body just went numb, and I was driving. So I said, you're going to have to pull over because you're not going to make it home. And I remember I had pulled over, and I had called, I had called my uh, fiance. I don't think I'm going to make it home. And I had to sit there for a while and try, you know, to like my, you know, one side, you know, got back some feeling. And then I remember I kept driving and then I started throwing up. Then I finally made it home. I prayed all the way home. Like, Please make it home. Just make it home. So I'm driving and my husband, I guess he tried to call me and something. I told him I wasn't going to make it home. So he tried to call me again. He got text him or something okay I'm trying to trying to drive and make it so I finally made it home and then he gave me a baby aspirin and I just laid down the rest of the day but I noticed that that started happening all the time where I would have headaches and all of a sudden I started feeling sick you know by the time I got home my health deteriorated and they see you know I was put back on blood pressure pills and all this other stuff and I'm just like what is going on I'm normally an active person, so I do go to the gym and everything else. So I knew that it was that job that was doing it to me. The place kind of destroyed me mentally. Judy's health was breaking down because of the continuous stress that she had to manage within this organization. 
years of chronic stress from a toxic workplace can have a serious impact on your body. According to the Mayo Clinic, when there are stressors that don't go away, you constantly feel under attack and your fight or flight reaction stays turned on. The long-term activation of this response system can disrupt almost all of your body's processes. Judy knew that it was her job that was breaking her down. She knew she had to leave. As hard as it was to make time to job hunt, Judy took every ounce of the energy she had left to get her resume out and start interviewing for a new position. The year I left, I lost my mother. They gave me a hard time about that as well, being all. So I had to fly out west to go get her ashes, handle on everything else, because that's where my brother stays, and we're trying to work things out. But while I'm out there, I'm working too. I have my laptop, and right here on right at the table, working while filling through paperwork and everything else, trying to get everything squared away. And they said, well, they said, well, when you're coming back, and uh, why are you out there? And it was just a lot of berating questions. Um, basically, I had started, you know, looking for my new job, and then during the time I was having, you know, the first set of interviews, and it's usually their phone interviews. That's when I was actually out there handling my affairs or whatever in regards to my mother's death. So I had to do them out there and try to attend the face-to-face interview. Fast forward and toward the end and, you know, I already had my resignation letter typed up from years back and I kept it, waiting for that day. So I just changed the date and then I turned in my resignation letter to him and HR and, you know, another department and stuff. And then the IT director called me into the office and said, oh, we think you can leave now. At that point, I think I was just done. So I just, you know, left my laptop, left my bag, and just, you know, walked up out of there. Because I said I had enough. The owner didn't know I was gone. So day or two after I left, I wrote a letter to the owner telling him everything that happened in that department. Uh, the IT director basically not keeping things secure, keeping data secure. Um, the other things that were going on, he didn't know any of that because between the IT director and the, you know, his boss, which is a lawyer, she kept all that stuff away from him. So he didn't know. Probably within three days or so after that, I got a text message because I still kept in contact with some manager that were there. And one of the managers, she, <laughs> she texted me, she said, well, such and such, you know, the IT director, he's gone. I remember I went outside and sat on my garden bench and smiled. <laughs> it kind of felt like bricks or a house were just lifted off the shoulders. And, you know, I had to take it day by day because it's kind of like leaving an abusive relationship. And then I also noticed that I'm easily triggered where if something reminds me of some situation or some of those incidents that I just described, where it's like, okay, I got my guard up and everything else. It took me probably about a couple of years to heal from that. Because even when I started, you know, my new job, I know I was like, a lot of times I'd be on the defensive. And I couldn't understand why I was defensive about a situation. I'm like, okay, you're not in that old organization anymore. You have to remember that. And I had to keep telling myself that it's going to be okay. You know, in all my years of working, I never experienced anything like that. It was basically a healing process. You know, trying to bring yourself back 
and to also get your self-esteem back because you lose that. Life is too short to try to spend your time in a bad place. And I had to realize that, you know, once my mother passed away and after I came back and, you know, everything else, that life is too short to try to be somewhere that's abusing you and that's not going to take your career seriously, not going to take you seriously, and basically somewhere that is going to eventually waste your time. Judy made the decision to put her health first. She has a new lease on life. Getting out of a toxic workplace isn't easy and the healing process takes time, but it's well worth the push. If the days are passing you by, each one breaking you down a little more inside, and your zest for life has faded, it's time to take your life back. Sticking around a situation that deteriorates your mental health and erodes your quality of life isn't worth all the money in the world. You can't enjoy life when the stress from your job is too overbearing. What are you waiting for? Make a change. Take the first step towards a healthy future and find a job where you can live joyfully with peace of mind. Next time on Toxic Workplace. And so Rosemary asked Emily what she planned to do when the money ran out. And Emily was like, you know, it's whatever. I have a plan. Like, I'm going to figure it out. And Rosemary pushed back and she was like, no, seriously, like, what are we going to do when we're completely out of money? Like, what is the plan? And I'm like, okay, I should not be here for this uh, conversation. Uh, So I'm trying to like blend into the chair. And Emily was like, basically what I'm going to do is I am not going to pay anyone for two months. Once we hit zero, I'm just not going to pay anyone for two months. And hopefully we get that second round of grant money, which was still very unclear if it would actually happen. Like we weren't even in the process yet of evaluating the end of the first year. Thanks for listening to Toxic Workplace. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please leave a positive review on Apple as it helps others find the show. Do you have a toxic workplace story you'd like to share on the podcast? Go to toxicworkplacepodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Your story will help others who are struggling with a similar situation. Remember that all names are changed in order to protect the privacy of the employee and the employer.